John Constantine, a Hellblazer podcast. Welcome back. Before we get into the episode, just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast. And all that means is that we are way behind where I'm at in Patreon. So if you are loving this podcast and you need more John Constantine in your life, definitely go check us out at patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books and sign up for the Hellblazer tier where you'll get access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've recorded so far. And also you'll get access to the exclusive episodes of the planes, trains, and comic books main podcast. So if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Hey there, everybody. Before we get started, just wanted to make a quick correction on the podcast you're about to listen to. There is a character named Marge who has a daughter named Mercury. And for some reason, I keep saying that Marge is Mercury's sister, not her mother. So just know that Marge is Mercury's mother, not her sister. And whenever I say sister, I mean mother. So once again, I apologize for that. I don't know why I keep doing it, but I keep doing it. So with that, let's get into this thing. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 36. And just a little catch up on what's been going on. John Constantine has come back into the life of a couple of his friends that he lost touch with a while ago. They are a mother named Marge and her daughter Mercury. And John has come across them while he is in a bad situation. As far as he is on drugs and he's all drunk. And he's like that because he's super torn up emotionally by everything that's happened in the last couple story arcs. Like his dad being killed and his friends in general always being killed. Things just aren't going very well in John's life. So being drunk and high and super down on himself, when he does find Marge and Mercury, he just goes straight for Marge as in trying to manipulate her into having sex with him to make him feel better. And at first, Marge doesn't really want to or if she does... She wants John to be different. She doesn't want him to be high. She doesn't want him to be all sad. And she wants him to want her in like a healthy way. So initially she just tries to clean him up and kind of sober him up. But eventually he does wear her down and they do end up sleeping together. And in the meantime, her daughter Mercury has gone away from that because she doesn't want any part of that. She's actually quite angry that John is showing up drunk and high and just wants to manipulate her sister. And also, Mercury is psychic, so she can feel everything that John and her sister are doing and feeling, and she's angry because she knows that John is using her sister to make himself feel better at the moment. And she's mad at her sister for giving in to John and not stand up for herself and stay strong and say no. So while Mercury is outside, she is about to fall asleep. And because she's psychic, she also gets sucked into the dream of John Constantine. And in this dream, we get a little backstory on John as a boy, how he grew up, how he was as a child, some of the messed up things that happened to him, either with bullies or him thinking he murdered a homeless guy. A bunch of stuff happened, but basically you just have to know that he had a bad dream about his childhood and Mercury saw it all. And that is pretty much where we left off. So first things first with issue 36, we got the cover here. It is an all black cover and there is a box in the center of it. 
where a man who is like all red and yellow colored is looking straight at us very creepily. And he's got a second face, like a mask over that face that's looking at us that is coming apart and falling off of him. And it potentially looks like his head is exploding out of the back. Not like from a physical wound, but maybe it's like memories or emotions or something that are coming out of his head. And we also see that this issue is written by Jamie Delano with art by Sean Phillips. And on the first page, we see the name of this issue is called The Undiscovered Country. And we are picking up with Mercury, who is now awake from that dream from the last issue about John as a boy. And it is morning time, or it's becoming morning because the sun is coming up. And she is peeking in on the camper to see if John and Marge are up yet. And as she looks in on them, she's still upset. She's still feeling an emotional resonance coming off of them. The narration says, jealous. That's what Marge had said she was. Is it true? Can she be jealous of that grunting, sweating, weary need? No. These are still his thoughts that she's infected with, aren't they? So she runs off to get some distance between them, so hopefully these weird feelings will go away. And as she does, John Constantine opens his eyes, he wakes up for the morning. And just the way he looks, you can tell he's definitely more of himself this issue. So he gets dressed and he goes outside to look for Mercury. And when he finds her, she's still mad at him, so... They go back and forth, but she's basically kind of being rude, putting up a wall, trying to make him feel bad about what he did the night before. And he can tell she's angry, so he says, why don't you come back to the bus and we'll thrash it out over coffee? But she does not take him up on that. In fact, she even gets more angry at him because besides just coming here and manipulating her sister into having sex just to make himself feel better, she seems to have caught a glimpse of you know his past friends and stuff and what's happened to them. All of them have died, and most of the time in very, very horrible ways. She says to him, you've piled a ring of corpses all around yourself. Now hellhounds are circling the stink of your fear. And John tries to brush this off. He just basically says she's overreacting and that he's just had a couple of bad days and she just doesn't understand because she's too young. She doesn't have enough perspective on everything going on. And this really pisses her off because he basically just said that she just doesn't understand because she's too young. And she spits back at him. See the things that you've seen? Oh, give it a rest. I'd seen all the shit I needed to see before I was 10. To me, the world's full of people with glass heads, John. Don't you get it? No enigmatic charm. No air of mystery. No fascinating secret depths. I can see right through all of that to the frightened child inside. Anytime I want, I can see everything. And John looks at her and says, not everything you can't. And she says, everything important. I can see the baby who killed his brother and his mother and nursed his guilt into a monster he couldn't kill. I can see the youth who's doomed his friends by leading them too close to the edge of madness. I can see the man who killed his father with a careless word then tried to drown his guilt in the spilled blood of revenge. And all John has to say to this, because she's pretty spot on about everything, is that he never had a brother. But after a little bit more back and forth, he does call her a witch and says that she terrifies him. And during this conversation, she's standing on a wall above him. So she's kind of like going back and forth, taunting him. She says, it's not me who terrifies you, John. It's what I represent that cripples you, the future. And she goes on telling him that he's scared of the past for what happened, and he's also scared of the future because it's the unknown. And he's been sticking his head in the sand by doing drugs and getting drunk, and even him having sex with Marge was a way of him hiding from his problems. 
And eventually John does like kind of break and start yelling at her about stuff. He says, you poked your nose in too far and got a fright. Now you've decided I'm a cowardly bastard responsible for everything from the rape of the planet to the poll tax. And then she just looks at him calmly and says, you said that, not me. I said you were paralyzed by your fear of death and hell's revenge. And I guess her not yelling back kind of calms him down and makes him realize what she's saying is kind of true. So he says, okay, so what? I admit it. I'm scared of dying, but I've got a right to be terrified. I don't want what's coming to me. I think I'll be going now. Say goodbye to Marge for me. I wish I could say it's been fun, but I can't. So long, kid. So basically, he's just trying to run from his problems again, and Mercury gets super pissed at this. She says, Oh no, you don't, John Constantine. You're not just going to walk away again. Can't you get it through your stupid head? We need you here. The only hell is how you choose to live your life now. It doesn't exist in any other form. And then we get a very cinematic shot of John looking straight at the camera like he's turned away from her. And he says, it bloody does exist. I've been there. And then she snaps back, only in your warped imagination. And death is just a painless moment between lives. I can prove it. I can show you. And John is kind of like, what do you mean you can show me? And she explains that this is a power that she used on the people that were part of the Fear Machine story arc. And in that, she would use her powers to take the fear out of patients in this hospital. So she tells John, I can help you get your terror in perspective. What's to be afraid of? It's just a glimpse, a little peek at death. And as he's actually rejecting her, he's saying no. She reaches out and touches him. And when she does, her astral body, I guess, pulls his astral body out of himself. And she pulls John to this plane of existence that's kind of built from John's dreams. And at first he's freaked out by this realm, but then he realizes that they're familiar. He says they're projections of the subconscious, the architecture of the imagination. And everything is super intriguing, and John is kind of overwhelmed by all the imagery and everything, so he gets distracted, but Mercury says they're not here to rake over the past, they're here to look at death. So they walk to these areas where there's these doors that have, I guess, tarot card symbols on them, and Mercury says to pick the card you feel most sympathy with. That'll show you the death most likely to result from your life so far. And John, of course, is kind of scared to go in by himself. He actually says, aren't you coming? And uh, she says no, she just pushes him in and lets him know that she will go back and guard his body because everyone has to face their death on their own. So with that, John's consciousness is transported into the future or at least a possible version of the future. So we cut to an old man version of Constantine and we're just kind of thrown into this world, but John seems to be kind of aware of what's going on because we're not getting, you know, inner dialogue where he's saying like, what's going on and what's this? And he, he just knows what's going on in this world already. And I got to say, old man John looks really, really rough. He's got a lot of wrinkles all over him and he's wearing like the same kind of clothes, but they're all like dirty and obviously haven't been washed in a long time. He's also coughing a bunch, which makes sense because he smokes all the time. And he seems to be in some kind of an abandoned house. And he's on the second floor. So as he goes down, we see that the first floor is just flooded with water. And John is also hearing like dogs attacking another dog outside. And it turns out that that dog that they're attacking is his means of transportation. So he's got like a little rickshaw kind of put on this dog. And uh, I guess that's what he uses to get around. So I guess with his transportation dog being killed or torn up by those other dogs, it seems like he's been stranded in this city and he looks out one of the broken windows of this house 
we see that the entire city is actually flooded with water and so much so that there's really no way for him to get out of here. So old man John wants to get out of the water, of course, so he climbs up on a piece of furniture and the narration says, this is it then, old son. Nowhere left to run to. You called the tune, now it's time to pay the piper. Wish there was someone to say goodbye to. In the end, it's all reduced to cliches, huh? Still, that's life, I suppose. No reason death should be any different. So as he's sitting on this table, he kind of hunches over and curls up, kind of like an old scared man, and the narration continues, Christ, the fever's burning me up. Full moon tonight, though. That'll be cool, if I can just last that long. Always like the full moon. It reminds me of Mercury. She must be about 60 now, an old woman. Hope she made a better life than me. And then John kind of closes his eyes and thinks back to an earlier time where he's in some kind of church and he's talking to a woman. And he still looks pretty old here, but not quite as old as he was in the last scene. And he's talking to this woman in a bell tower of what looks like a church. And she is asking for his birth date. And when he tells her that he was born in 1953, she says that that makes him nearly 80 years old. So if you're doing the math, that puts him about 10 years from right now in uh, 2033. So in their talking back and forth, we kind of get like a little bit of what happened to the earth. She says to John, you were fully grown before devolution and depopulation. Your childhood was in the mad days. You must have eaten flesh as a boy. And the reason she's asking this is because she seems to be some kind of nurse or possibly a doctor. And she says that because John ate human flesh as a boy, that probably explains why he has stomach cancer. And she says that he was lucky to have avoided the encephalopathy or meat madness. I think this is supposed to be mad cow disease is what she's talking about. And she says most carnivores went insane. And John kind of laughs when she says this and he says, yeah, I know I was there, but you haven't lived till you survived a couple of plagues. That's what I always say. <coughs> now get to the point, will ya? You've got two minutes, then I'm lighting, <coughs> lighting this cigar. And apparently smoking is not allowed in this new society and John doesn't really care he still got his attitude, of course, but she says, you came to Green Hill when, 20 years ago, at the end of the typhoon decade? Since then, the complaints against you have been almost constant. Persistent tobacco cultivation and abuse, obsessive negativism, disharmonious attitudes, refusal to participate in group dynamics, sexism. And John responds to that by saying, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm a thoroughly useless <coughs> member of the community. A waste of scarce resources, a troublesome nonconformist. And he goes on to say that he doesn't care if the healers are pissed off because he refuses their treatment of sitting in a pyramid for weeks because that's not going to cure lung cancer. And he goes on to say that, you know, people here are so soft and they're being raised so fragile. And she responds to this by saying, that statement just confirms your intolerable irresponsibility. You're dangerous to this community. Any value you may have as a warning to youth is outweighed by the threat of corruption you pose. And then John realizes why she's talking to him. He says, I see, it's fertilizer time. You're the angel of death, are you? And she confirms this. She says that the council has voted on it and they recommend that he accepts the peace of the planet. She continues, of course there will be no coercion, although most consider it their moral duty to relieve the community of their burden of age. You may choose to leave Green Hill, but you are sick and in pain. It must be preferable to enter the restful place and exit your life in dignified comfort. There will be music of your choice to soothe you, volunteers to please you sexually, and as you rest, organic toxins will free your soul into the life pool. Finally, your body will be reduced to nutrients to feed the earth. 
so that you may have memorial in the substance of those who follow. And John just looks at her and says, you must be <laughs> sudden joking. <laughs> so basically he just says nuts to that and decides to go out on his own and leave this place. And the nurse lady tries to talk him out of it. She says there will be bandits and savage animals and it's pretty bad outside these walls. But John says, I've been outside all my life. I'll manage. I'm going to the coast, I think. I hear it's much nearer than it used to be. So the people place him in a little cart and they give him that dog that was attacked earlier. And everybody's trying to be nice and they're saying goodbye and good luck and peace be with you. And John just turns to them and goes, oh, shut up, you sanctimonious bunch of wankers. And then they kind of like push him outside the gates. And as they're closing the gates, John says, go on, mush. Get going, Cerebus, you mangy mutt. Head down, eyes closed. Straight on till morning. So then we cut back to John in that house full of water. That seems to be the place he ended up after he left this village. And it seems like now that John has come out of that memory, he is very disoriented and he's not sure exactly where he is. He says, shit, time's getting out of line. Why am I here? And then he looks out the broken window and sees a full moon. And for some reason, he thinks that Mercury is going to come save him. And he looks out under the water and he sees some boats and he thinks that that is like a caravan of boat gypsies that Mercury will be a part of. So he decides to go and meet them. He climbs out the window and he begins to walk down the street that actually just ends straight into the ocean. And the narration says, I found them again at last. They're coming to fetch me, coming to take me home. And as he's walking out, he does say that there's no sign of the dogs that were there before, and perhaps they've gone off hunting, or possibly he just dreamed them. And as he gets closer to the water's edge, the people that were on the boats, I don't know if they're actually there or if they're just part of his imagination, because in some panels they're there and some panels they're not. But either way, he tries to flag them down, but by the time he gets to the edge of the water, they are completely gone. And then he hears a noise behind him and it's a growling and he turns around to see a pack of wild dogs has cornered him against the water. And he's freaked out by this so he goes to the edge of this street which has like a railing and he jumps on top of the railing and he says, let me off, don't eat me, don't take me to hell, I was wrong, give me another chance, please, let me go with them. And then because he's old and dying he slips and he falls into the water and the water is full of sharks. So as he floats down, the sharks surround him and are about to attack him. And the narration says, and this is the terror, isn't it? The helplessness, the flood that all men fear, the swell of unconscious breaking over our heads, drowning us in the salt waves of empty regret, hopelessly grasping at straws which have no substance to support us. We are sunk by the weight of our own obsessions, dragged down as sharks of guilt swim up from the drowned world of memory and before to tear at us. And with that, old man John is eaten alive by sharks. And then we cut to Marge, who is in the camper, and she's doing a tarot card reading for John. And I'm going to read what the narration says, but I don't really understand anything about tarot cards, so maybe this will mean more to some of you than others, but uh, it says, Creative male force blocked by greed for secret knowledge. Wants to be a paternal, wise man and teacher, but subconsciously craves pure symbolic sex. He's excited by the promise of the future, but blocked by obsession and suppression of love. Living in a hopeful vision, passing time waiting for the rule of pattern to exert itself, reaching for the freedom to experience all of life's extremes, an outsider hung up trying to find the courage to break the devil's block. So those are all the insights she got from reading the cards about John. And she says to herself, poor old John, looks like that devil card's got him in a stranglehold. 
And just as she thinks that, she hears Mercury yell her name from outside, and it's very panicked, so Marge runs outside thinking Mercury's in danger. And what's actually going on is Mercury's super scared because she thinks she's killed John. It looks like he's strangling himself, but I think what's going on is that the dream he was having of him as an old man was ending with him drowning and being torn apart by sharks. So his physical body here is reacting to that horrible vision. So Marge kind of takes control and pushes Mercury out of the way and then puts John on his back and begins to give him CPR. And Mercury's freaked out and she's saying, I just wanted to show him. Oh, please, I'll do anything. I'll go instead. I don't want to be a murderer. And as she yells that, John actually wakes up, but he's still in some kind of disoriented state because he begins immediately strangling Marge, thinking that she was hurting him. And in these panels, he is going all out. He's like giving all his strength at strangling Marge. But luckily, Mercury is able to get over to him and she kind of holds his face and she's able to snap him out of this crazed state. And when he does, he can't believe, like, what's going on. He's like, what? And Mercury says, please let go of her. She just brought you back. It was me that killed you. And immediately the atmosphere goes from super tense to kind of, like, silly as John says, hmm, now why would you want to do a thing like that? I thought you liked me. And it's kind of messed up because Marge is still, like, recovering from being nearly strangled by John. And she's just kind of off to the side while John laughs about it. And Mercury tries to go on, but John says, no, tell me later. Never tackle postmortems before breakfast. That's what I always say. And John, Mercury, and Marge kind of hug together and they walk back to the camper. And that is the end of the issue. So if you guys have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me at planes, trains, and comic books, all one word at gmail.com. And we will see you on the next one.